You're listening to a Time Machine podcast. Old movie Time Machine. An adventure through time and or space. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Old Movie Time Machine. This is the show in which we watch color films made in the old US of A between the years of 1945 and 1965 as windows into the past. We throw these windows open, we climb through the windows, and we explore the world and the people in that world beyond. And while we do this, we're going to be asking ourselves some critical questions. Such as, all of these people that we are watching meander through this world beyond the window. Hey, guys. Who are these people? What are their habits? What decisions are they making? And why? How are they treating each other? And, and arguably the most important part, what are they wearing? And what do their living rooms look like? And then at the end of the show, we pass back through the window to modern times, and we ask ourselves the ultimate question, which is, and this is on behalf of all of humanity here in the early 21st century. Hey, you guys, this movie that we just watched, The Window, we threw it open, we climbed through, we examined, we poked, we prodded, all of this. Do we keep watching this thing? We keep throwing this thing on, giving it one more spin, passing it on to our nieces and nephews, or do we just let it rot on the side table of history's living room? Uh. <laughs> Roll with me. Roll with me. Stay with me. We will find out. I'm your host, by the way, through time and or space, Justin Zeppa. Joined as ever by my panel of incredible, infallible international experts and also the smartest people that I know. Starting on my mm, right today, we're back at her place. It's the Cat Corner Master, Catherine Sherlock. Welcome back to the program. Hello. Lovely to have you here. And on your right, sleeping in the corner of the couch, is, of course, Solon, the Mr. Handsome Cat, who is, of course, the studio mascot over here. And over, he waved his little paw. That was adorable. And over to his right, you know her and you love her and you need her on a weekly basis. Shrishma Nike is in the house. Shrishi Boo, hey. Hey, guys. What's up? Nice to have you here. Are you guys ready to talk? I am uh, as ready as I'll ever be. I think. Yes, right. We're all, I mean, you can hear it in our voices. We're all feeling in various states of disrepair. It is March. It's been a very long winter, you guys. I think you'll all agree with me there. Uh, it's been exhausting. This is, I know we're all relieved to hear it, but this is the big finale for the Noirs of March, which have continued to march on. I know, Catherine, this I know. This wasn't really a noir. You don't feel like this was a noir? No. Oh, what would, how would you describe this? Well, it would have required tension. And oh, oh, come on. It would have required, wow. I don't know, a better score like to mm, okay. build up that okay. tension and maybe things being a little darker yeah. visually. That would have been my... It was too jolly. Okay. The okay. color scheme was a little bit... Wee. It was very 50s, uh, like bright 50s right. colors coming through. Plastique, kind of. But you know, I really like that. Oh. So, uh, I don't know. But guys, you know, the bit, the, the Noirs of March, it's a terrible bit and I apologize for the previous three weeks as well, but it's it's done today. We are going to be finishing it today, and then we move into the next mini-series. Are we going to the flavors of April? The flavors of... Did that work? There is it. Oh, what's... um? Well, what is coming up? Well, you're going to have to wait till the end of the show, Kat. I mean, it's... <laughs> I'm just trying to guess a, how he's going to wordplay this. That's a teaser. There's no the wordplay. The April's of April. The, <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, there is a theme. It is not April specific, uh, nor does it have anything to do with a rhyme or, in the case of the Noirs of March, a near rhyme. <laughs> the, mm, mm. A in the neighborhood Springy, of a rhyme. Springy outlook. Mm. Something spring. I think the, these two things are on different continents. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, Catherine Sherlock, now's your time to shine. All right. Okay. <laughs> 
Nothing stands in the way of our boy's American dream. This is not rational egoism as he attempts to murder Mary his way into an industrialist family, but good old-fashioned psychopathy. Yes. See, now uh, you got to get – I mean, well done, Catherine, as ever. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Because now we're getting into the meat and potatoes of this motion picture, which is Bud Corliss, played by Robert Wagner. Mm. This – uh, guy, this 25-year-old uh, young American man, as you pointed out, um, he's very upsetting. He's a very unco- – he made me feel uncomfortable from mm-hmm. most of the picture. He's such a, a gaslighter and right. a manipulator yeah. and a string puller. What we're talking about is uh, Bud is sitting in his bedroom with his girlfriend, Dory Kingship, a.k.a. Dorothy Kingship, and she is very upset. And he is doing some, I recently found out my girlfriend is pregnant smoking. We talk about different types of smoking you can do in this era. This is one of them. And he's already, look at the look on his face. He's already trying to figure it out. How do I resolve this situation? He's he's trying to piece it together. She is really upset. Uh, and we find out that she has an awkward relationship with her family mm-hmm. and especially her dad. They do not get along very well. She doesn't really care for his help, but he has he comes from money. So uh, this is something to to remember as we move forward. And so we find out that she's two months along, and he smokes and tells her that he loves her. And I guess in the 1950s, pregnancy and smoking weren't like the detriments of smoking weren't fully known. No. I think, yeah. <laughs> I was like, is she pregnant? Is he blowing smoke directly into her face? Oh, yeah, yeah, This yeah. is all great. <laughs> well, later they're out drinking beers, yeah. you know, like it's, yeah. Mm. yeah. But he says that he loves her and he's gonna, he would like to marry her, which is what she wants to hear. She's very happy to hear this, that she's not alone in this situation that he is very much uh, responsible for. But, um, sorry, just one question that I wasn't sure, like, why would he, if his goal was to kind of get into the family, wouldn't getting her pregnant be like exactly what he would want? No, the fear was that the, with the, because the father's the way he is, um, oh, he yeah, would yeah, disown yeah, yeah. her okay, okay. Right. and then okay. they, they would end up with nothing. Right. So he would not achieve his uh, dastardly plan. of. And do they ever lay out what his plan is? Just get into the family. I th- it's that, that just sort of becomes apparent later, I think, when we realize he's... Yes. And this is the part that was that remains confusing to me, which mm. is when does he start dating the sister? You know, like when are we supposed to be shocked to discover that it's him? I mean, it was shocked. I was shocked at the time. He was like in the library, and it was. I know she'd spoken to him on the phone, but you didn't pick up on it at that point. You didn't know about it this early on. I think my assumption was he's been diddling them both. Like, at the same time, at right? The same like time. playing both. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe th- this one's a little dumber. Yes. Um, or a little more, not dumber, that's possibly a bad thing to say. But, you know, just, you know, she thinks more, she's in love. And yeah. yeah. So, whereas the other one, I, I think she is, you know, she's a bit more of a sharper tack mm-hmm. and she's kept him at bay. I would agree with that, Be- especially since. He he does talk to Dory at one point, and they're talking about her sister, and she says something like, "Oh, you're just gonna love her. She's great." And he's like, "Oh, I'm sure I will. Mm. I'm sure I will." Mm. So, but I guess what is confusing to me is so later, uh, Dory's sister Ellen does. It's revealed that she's also seeing Bud here, but she. It's weird to me because she has the phone call with him ahead of time mm. when she says his name, which makes me think like. Did they not say his name before we get to that point? I don't remember. In all the letters, because clearly I think they were writing letters to each other. The sisters. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. so they, I mean, never mentioning the name, that's interesting. No, 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 because he insisted on secrecy. Uh, right. I think he, he probably, like, let's keep yeah, it secret. Yeah. Until. So definitely with this one. So she describes him because he's tall and slender, right? Mm-hmm. That's, they know this. Mm-hmm. And then he calls her Dory. They know that. Uh, but yeah, I'm just. Uh, she must have said "but" at some point. It's just so weird that like uh, that that phone call comes so deep into the movie. It's like an hour into the movie almost that mm. that you, you've already forgotten. Like you know, you wouldn't connect it, and so it's surprising when he does show up at their house uh, mm. out by the mine. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, of course. So 
she is so sad and it's really difficult to watch. Uh, he takes her to a drugstore in her copper car, the first of many copperized props that will appear in this picture. And uh, again, I was confused briefly as to why this would be. And then we find out later that she is, of course, an heiress to a copper mine. So this is a bit of splashing out, kind of showing off big copper's money. You know, like what what can that copper get you? It can get you a sport car made of copper. (laughs) So (laughs) here it is. Um, I also just wanted to call out, like, I know in the last, not um, Violent Saturday, but the movie before. Black Widow. Um, Carolyn was making a comment about the hair. Oh, uh, please. Can I you address this? <laughs> I, I had the same thought. Please address it on her no, behalf. Nothing to say except that, I, is it a, was it like this This hairstyle was a trend at the time? This short hair that yeah. she had. Yeah. It was unpleasant. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't in any way flattering. Is this is this the same kind of? Am I picking up on the same this is, flavor? Yes. No. It's the same thing. I mean, we made uh, we made a big deal about it for Black Widow about yeah. how awful this hair is, and here it is again a year, you it know, a couple really years later. It wasn't flattering. Yeah. These tight curls, very yeah, close. This look really. Um, it's not flattering for anybody. It's no. not. It's not working for anybody. But it is. It's hideous. You're right. It, it continues to be even in 1956. <laughs> it's it's really bad. Bud is trying to get, uh, allegedly, some help with his Spanish homework, you guys. So he's got this Spanish. He can't translate it, but she can do it for him. And it turns out to be a perfectly laid out suicide note of uh, of regrets and, you know, please forgive me and all of this in her handwriting. So critical to know there. Yeah, so he's got that. We see him then later in his bedroom typing with his gloves on, which I thought was adorable, as if the police were going to come take his typewriter and be like, we found your fingerprints on it. And he, the response would be, this is my typewriter. Of course you did. So, um, But that being said, he, does, he types up a little uh, a letter that's addressed to Ellen Kingship, uh, Dory's sister, and he's going to send this faked out suicide letter to the family. So we know that there's something, something's wrong, you guys. I I don't know. There's something amiss here. So later he meets up with Dory again and he gives her two pills, which he refers to as vitamins that he got from his cousin or something like that. And he instructs her like, you should take these, you know, like uh, I care about our family and I care about your health and the health of our baby. So why don't you take both of these? Make sure you take both of them tonight before you go to bed. And um, that that would be great, honey. So if you could please do that. And she's a little skeptical. She's not sure, but she uh, she agrees to it because, again, he has promised to marry her. And so she's kind of over the moon about this. And he ends up calling her later from a pay phone just to verify. And she's living at a sorority house. Um, and she's constantly waiting by the phone for his phone call with another um, kind of sad, you know, it's, it's, he, he's trying to kill you. He's a monster. Stop waiting for his call. But he does remind her, you know, please you know, take both of them. It's it's good for you. Be, you know, and also, hey, if it feels like poison in your stomach, it might feel like poison. Yeah, it might hurt. Just like, don't. Yeah. Don't, don't call anyone. Don't panic. If it feels like your insides are melting into uh, some kind of disgusting soup don't worry about it it's supposed to and uh just don't call anybody whatever you do no matter what you feel or think don't call anybody just die i'll see you in the morning and just die so the next morning he is feeling like a new man and he's hanging out oh and also after the uh after the phone call he for all the work with the gloves he's ungloved here Takes the letter out of his pocket and mails it. Like, there's your fingerprints all over the place. What are you doing? And I checked. I went back and checked. He's not wearing gloves here. He wasn't wearing gloves in the phone booth. It's just, uh, wow. I need you you to get your head in the game, bud. They didn't think it all through. He thought he was being smart by just wearing it on the typewriter. Or maybe they thought that we, the audience, were kind of like, listen, just, oh, yeah, by the way, we need you to mail that. We need to see you mail the letter. And again, in a modern context, we probably wouldn't see him actually dropping the letter into a mailbox. We don't yeah, need that. Yeah. We we could piece it together when we see, oh, yeah, it's the letter that he 
you know, he had her write and sent and a typed up thing and they're receiving. Ah, he must have mailed it. We piece it together. So he goes to class then and who should walk in but but girlfriend Dory looking like $10 million, uh, 1956 money. And yeah, the expression on his face when she walks in is priceless. <laughs> He's like, what the fuck is happening it is the a man who is looking at a ghost, basically. There's no reason why he's like and you know in his head he's like, Did it did I put in like arsenic light or what did did she need three pills of arsenic to really get the job done? Or does she know that it's arsenic and she like figured out that it's poison? Why? What's happening here? Yeah. He's trying to again, you see the gears moving behind his eyes as he tries to pivot and adjust to these new circumstances because so he gets up and he he wigs out when he sees her and he runs out of the classroom because it's all falling into place for him. Like, oh, fuck, I mailed that letter. The letter is going to show up. I need her to be dead of a suicide. <laughs> I need this to happen. How do we do this? What's the easiest way to do it? He goes to the post office. He does a thing that I'm sure any of us would do in a similar cir- circumstance, which is, hey, can I have that letter back? Uh, the letter... <laughs> That absolves me of the murder of my girlfriend who's, who continues to be alive at this point. And they're like, well, sorry, but it's the mail. So that's not how mail works. Mm. And it's actually going to be delivered pretty soon, most likely. So sorry, bud. Hey, sorry, bud. That's actually his name. <laughs> um, Maybe that's where it came from. So he steps outside of the post office and he sees a very tall building across the street, the Valley National Bank building, the municipal building, we're led to believe. Uh, a couple things of note on this outside street of Tucson, Arizona. First of all, it's a national dollar store right next to there. I didn't realize they had those in the 50s. Uh, different value to a dollar back then. You know, uh, $1 is maybe worth $3 today. Mm-hmm. So probably some good merchandise in there. And also these nice uh, garbage cans, these refuse garbage cans. I imagine that to be the Tucson City Seal, most likely. And this man just is hanging out, leaning on the garbage can. He's just a garbage hanger on her. He doesn't move from that spot throughout this shot. So Bud goes across the street to the Muni building. He calls up Dory. He's like, hey, honey, I know you're excited to get married. Sorry, I freaked out back there. I know you're excited to get married. Let's do it right now. (laughs) Get yourself dressed. I'll meet you down here. Uh, We'll just take care of it. And she is, again, so excited. Excited, yeah. Her dream is coming true. She races down there. He even wears himself a nice lighter suit for this. She's all dressed up. And again, you know I love the signage. We've got a Woolworths across the street over there. We've got an early uh, Walgreens oh, drug store back here where you can get fountain drinks and a lunch. And then there's an optometry with a, also a great neon sign, I would imagine, in the evening. But they go inside. He's like, meet me at 1215, honey. And he says that because he knows that the marriage license bureau is going to be closed between 12 and uh, one o'clock for lunch. So they go up there and he's like, gosh, darn it. Would you, would you believe this? We can't actually get married. This place is closed, but it'll be open soon. Why don't we go to the roof again? Another red flag, maybe just (laughs) partners out there. If you send something is off and then your partner asks you to go to the roof with them, think twice. Uh, at least think twice about it. You can still go if you want to. And from up on the roof of the municipal building, we do get a nice skyline shot of Tucson. But we get a nice look at life in 1956 in Tucson here. This is a quiet scene up on the roof between the two of them. And I don't know. I thought the tension worked personally. Did this do anything for you guys? Yeah. I, so it was this particular scene that led me to the... The, the Bollywood the version? Bollywood, because they have this exact scene. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and the whole time, Catherine, did this work for you at all? Yeah, it was fine. Okay, okay. And the whole time we see him kind of eyeballing like, what's the best place for me to push my mm. girlfriend off of this roof? And he's sort of maneuvering her by the arm over to the side and don't look down, honey. You know, you'll get dizzy. And he... You know, gives her a little bit of cigarette there, of course, because he's smoking throughout the entire picture. If if we, we haven't done an ashtray count, it's because just assume there are ashtrays everywhere. The world is an ashtray. Yeah, everything is exactly. <laughs> That's right. Especially at the beer hall. Um, you just put that anywhere. 
but he does. She confesses to not having taken the vitamins because she just felt like something was off. Her some kind of intuition told her that, and she was concerned about his response initially to her being pregnant. So she's like, "I didn't take it," and he's like, "Uh huh, uh huh, yeah. Where are those pills now? Where did she? Where did you keep those? That's fine, honey. But where are the pills now?" She's like, "I got them in my bag right here." And it's like, "Oh, Dory, what are you doing?" And. He does give her a kiss before dying. It's not just a clever title. And then he gives her a little push over the the ledge there, and she falls to her death. And it is interesting to see his response. He is, I mean, he's so cold. He's such a cold little sociopath. He immediately steps away from the edge so he's not seen. Then he reaches out, and he takes the pills. I've got control of my evidence here yet again. And then he just kind of fucks off. Uh, Job well done, apparently. Thus ends the life of poor Dorothy Kingship, baby girl heiress to the Kingship copper fortune. And movie over. So this concludes. No, of course not. This is just the first half of the movie. This did feel like its own film, though, I have to say. This was an oddly structured movie. But let's look at it in two halves. We're going to move to the second part here. Jay-Z here, breaking in, as I will do, to interrupt myself, more often than not, to tell you about our incredible merchandise available to you from Old Movie Time Machine. Guys, I need you to go to our Public store, the link is in the show notes, and, you know, have yourself a browse. Maybe uh, I could highlight for you the Screw It, We're Watching That Darn Cat merchandise which is the ever-present threat of old movie time machine always lingering in the background. Catherine Sherlock, do you hear me? There's going to come a day when I'm going to sit you down and make you watch That Darn Cat from 1965. And to celebrate this moment when Catherine finally sees That Darn Cat, uh, maybe we need to order some throw pillows and some tote bags and some coffee mugs and maybe even a case for our phone, our collective smartphone. You do the same thing, of course, and then you'll be ready for when that darn cat is actually seen by Catherine Sherlock, our own host. And if you do, of course, you know I'm going to thank you, like I will right now. Hey, thank you so much. And now back to the show. So we know that he has mailed this alleged suicide note to the family. And so this is when we meet Dory's sister, Ellen, Seen here, played by Virginia Lath, who, again, we have seen now three movies in a row, this actor. Um, so in Black Widow, she was the best friend, the wealthy friend who uh, Nanny w- was living with. Oh. She had the brother oh, who yeah, was yeah. dating her. Uh, and then last week in Violent Saturday, she played a nurse at the local copper mine. And here we see her moving on up. She is now the heiress to the copper fortune. And uh, I've said it in all the previous episodes, and I'll say it again here. She's real cute. And she does a pretty good job here. This is kind of like her last big performance, though. And I believe she was contracted under Fox and they didn't renew her contract and she just kind of fades away. It's really sad for somebody who is, I think, a pretty decent actor and uh, easy on the eyes. And there's just like no reason why, why, you know, but some people make it, some people don't. Mm, it is a cruel Probably because she wasn't business. blonde. Yeah, that very well could be. Especially as we know, this is uh, peak Marilyn mm-hmm. heyday, right? Mm-hmm. So that will be prized. And so... This We're joining Ellen here with, and this is her father here. The, we're at the police station, and we know this because there's a, a closet back here that just says detectives. And I just picture, again, not unlike the chemical supply room, just a, a room full of shelves with a bunch of these uh, gray men sitting on them, possibly. <laughs> That's where they keep them. And then, of course, we've got a solving the crime cigarette over here, uh, this man at his desk. But we are checking in with this man here. He is the, I don't know, chief of police or something like that. And this is a pretty open and shut case for the police, the entire movie. No matter how many new clues are added or elements uh, uh, thrown into the mix, they're all just sort of like, well, pretty self-explanatory. looks like they killed themselves. And then uh, this person, you know, died over here because of this. You know, it's pretty open and shut case, guys. Sorry about that. So they're looking at this letter, of course. 
and just processing Dory's death. And we and then they head back to the kingship manor home, if you will, which is out in the desert. Now, guys, I had to take this picture because, listen, there are important things to look at in this picture. It's not just Virginia Leith and her swimming suit. What we have to look at is this ashtray here, her, her sunbathing ashtray. Very important. Big old sunglasses. Cool yes, I think it is. Look like it's and, cool. of course... Isn't this it is, going to be like really hard to pick that up? It's just going to get like super heated. Well, it's a terrible idea. I think all of this is a terrible idea. I mean, we're looking at copper uh, piping here that goes along with the pool. The pool is copper themed. Um, in a moment here, we're going to look at this telephone is made of copper. I mean, it is very over the top 60s style Batman almost like yeah. um, it, like if there was a a villain called the Copper King. This is what the set would look like. It's like, put him in a copper car, copper telephone, copper swimming pool. Done and done. Now, this is Ellen Kingship, the sister, of course. A very different vibe from Dory Kingship, who uh, strikes me as a bit of a smaller personality, um, sort of more timid, maybe a little gentler, perhaps. Mm. Uh, Ellen kind of gives the the vibe of somebody who's maybe a bit more worldly or cultured in yeah, some regard definitely. yeah yeah and Street smart maybe yes yeah just a little more like, savvy in some yeah. way and here she is taking a phone call on her copper telephone which has been brought to her by this man and here we have a representation watch his name is bill he's an african-american man who works for the kingship family as a butler and phone carrier apparently and there is also a housekeeper named Mary, who is also African-American. She does not even get credited. I couldn't find mm. the actor who played her. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but not on IMDb or Wikipedia. So tough to say. And also, I don't know if these two are supposed to be like a married couple working They're for working this home. For it's, it's tough. To, they get nothing to do, basically. They just kind of stand there and wait for the kingships to finish their talking so they can move on with whatever business they have queued up. Um, but here we see Ellen on this copper phone, of course, and she's chatting with her gentleman caller, Bud Corliss. And this is where she says, hello, Bud. And Bill says, Mr. Corliss is on the phone. So this is where I question my own read of like, is this the first time we're hearing his name? Is that why it's so surprising when we see him later in this house's library? I don't know. I'm not sure. And I'm not sure I have the energy to watch this a third time this week. <laughs> so it could remain a mystery. You must. You must. Uh, meanwhile, though, Ellen goes back to the university and she goes to the registrar's office and the registrars start narking right away. And they're like, yep, okay, here's a list of all the people we have who go to school here and what they look like and what type of personality they have. Um, and so she focuses on somebody that she recognizes as tall and slender and kind of dark. <laughs> she also jumps to some conclusions of her own. She yes. certainly does. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and gets someone killed in the process. <laughs> I think, yes. I, I think at this point, Ellen's plan is working perfectly up to this meeting. She's convinced him and then she's sort of making it up a <laughs> she lot. She kind of freestyles it really bad. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> and what we're talking about, of course, is the fact that she gets a lead on this guy. His name is Dwight Powell. And he is a former tennis star turned disc jockey. I guess that was a, a some kind of prototype in the 50s. Um, but she phones him up and leaves this terribly awkward message about – it's one of these like, I know what you did <laughs> and meet me over at the cocktail lounge uh, later tonight. And this is where Ellen learns what Dwight Powell's deal is. And Dwight is like, look, I felt – uh, the reason I'm behaving this way, uh, especially regarding anything uh, in the neighborhood of your sister, is the fact that I kind of felt like maybe she killed herself because we had broken up. So they did date for a while. He does mention that she was hooking up with some other guy mm -hmm. after they they finished with each other. And so Ellen's like, okay, well, this is this is news to me. What's happening here? And he's like, yeah, you know what? Actually, I think I have his address. She had invited me to a party that was at his house. And, you know, I wasn't going to go, but I wrote the address down. It's at my dorm room. Let's go check it out. But now she's she's got herself a lead, uh, Ellen does. And so they go back to his dorm room. 
uh, or to his dorm. He goes up to his room. She stays in the lobby next to a very nice horse lamp, uh, also with an ashtray. Um, but as they're leaving Pago Pago here, and here is this amazing tiki mm. exterior. You know I love this. God, tell me this place still exists. Uh, I'll look into it later. But as they're leaving, they pass a table where we see uh, there's a, a lit cigarette still smoking away and a half-finished drink. So there's somebody, and it's butt cordless, but somebody's been listening to their conversation and is aware of what they're going to be doing. So it is of no surprise when finally we follow Dwight up to his dorm room and we see the closet door open behind him and Bud Corliss step out holding a pistol. Because, I mean, he he actually was snooping around when she was at the um, college uh, registrar. Yeah, he's kind of following he kind her of, around. He kind of... He's doing a lot of lurking in corners yeah. and shadows, listening. And I, don't, I don't think he heard what she talked about with them, but I mean, he snuck in and had a yeah. look at it and realized, put two and two together, that she was looking for yes. a person of his description. And I'm sure that was terrifying for him because at this point they are, of course, dating, so they know each other. And I'm sure when he sees her on his turf in Lupton mm. poking around, yeah. I mean, all of his spider senses are like, she okay. doesn't know he's going to college here. He, right. She doesn't know any of this about him. Right. The impression I got was that he told her that he was from this area initially, but it was like a long time ago. I think mm-hmm. he, he says something about, you know, uh, living in Lupton, but boy, that was a long time ago when really it is not. But anyway, he emerges from the closet holding himself a little revolver and he and Dwight is just like, he he sees it all happening. He knows exactly what's going on, and he crumbles and, and just does whatever Bud tells him, which is sit in this chair, turn around, read the note I have typed up for you. He's such a typist, this Robert Wagner in this movie. Mm. Uh, he's really it's one of his lesser known skills. You know, if he had taken this type of initiative in getting some kind of clerical work or admin or something like that, I'm sure he'd find something no problem. Make himself a nice little living. Um, but he's he's like, I've typed up your suicide note. Please take a seat. And so Dwight sits at his desk. And just as Bud is about to pull the trigger, he looks up and he sees a framed picture of Dwight and his tennis heroics, um, which happened in Mexico, apparently. And he realizes Dwight is holding his tennis racket in his left hand. So he's left-handed. So he then moved to the other side of him to make it look like he killed himself with his left hand. And Ellen waits downstairs and she hears the gunshot upstairs and who should run across the hallway to check on what is happening in Dwight's room. But this man right here, a fully grown man wearing a complete pajama outfit, which I imagine these are like fish or trains or something like that. But you see this guy dart across to go into Dwight's room to find the body. And it's really amusing because what is it like 830 or something like that? Mm. This guy's totally PJ'd out. Don't tell me you don't own pajamas um, like that. Or I want would, to I would own. like to wear exactly. pajamas. Like Yes, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. And probably Silk at 830. Like... <laughs> Cotton. Oh, cotton's got it's breathable, right? I need it to be breathable. Yeah, brushed silk, cotton. Right? I get it's very warm, be. you know. Okay. Um, but obviously the silk would be, you know, so smooth, right? Mm. It feels so good. I feel like there'll be a lot of static. Like, yes. Yeah, I'm not sure I could get along with that. It's like, I think that would be difficult. Be too, too much sensation yeah. happening. <laughs> this looks breathable though. This could be. These could be jersey. I'm sure it's soft. You know. Yeah, it's exactly. Very nice. It's brushed in somewhere. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Cozy. And here's our police chief. This is Gordon's uncle, of course. And yet again, well, open and shut case. Suicide. <laughs> yep. I mean. There's yeah. a letter. Yeah. He even says, like, you can go read the note in the typewriter. It's like, oh, man, you didn't even try. You're not dusting for, for prints or anything. I mean, at, at minimum, you have to look at blood spatter. You have like, to at like least this, look at it, Chris dude. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, it um, was all circumstantial, I think. It was like there was no, no real evidence gathering. 
No, I'm sure he walked in and I wonder, and again, we should ask either Carolyn or old David Time Machine about like, is there ever a time when you walk into a crime scene and you're like, oh, this is an easy one? Mm. Like, yeah. just like, oh question. yeah. Yeah, okay. Let's yep. get back to that coffee and donut. <laughs> Gun by the hand, bullet in the head, suicide letter typed out. I mean, this is perfect. Easy yeah, we'll, peasy. We'll have this wrapped up. You know, we'll do the reports, obviously going to eat up a lot of the time, but hour and a half tops, we can wrap this one up. Mm. And that's this guy's whole MO here as he pursues uh, truth and justice uh, in this film. Who should follow along but Gordon Grant, our junior detective, uh, nerdy college guy here. And so he meets up again with Ellen who greets him. And then we see Bill and Mary in the background here just being like, these fucking people, I got stuff to do. They are so not into whatever's happening here or anything that's not moving their business along. And I totally get it. Gordon's like, look, oh, it looks like you're having a party. Sorry. I'm sorry to break in on your party. I do have some news for you, but it can wait. And she's like, nonsense. And she, they go into this library together. And I did want to just focus briefly on this library because we do have this window seat with, again, some kind of patterned, uh, some kind of scene, houses, countryside, something on this fabric here that is lining um, the cushion and the curtains and all of this. And then we have this awesome uh, table lamp here that looks kind of like, I thought it would look like a spaceship, but it really looks more like some kind it's of native, native artwork. Yeah. Mm. Something from the Andes, perhaps. Uh, we've got some kind of blue marble bust of uh, Athena back here or something like this, cigarette cases and all. And Gordon is, of course, puffing away on his pipe the entire time because you can't not have a thing in his mouth. But what the news is that he's bringing to Ellen is that it turns out, okay, now we know it's Dwight Powell who killed Dory. Sorry about that. Uh, Dory, by the way, also being a clue that comes into play yeah. later in this picture is that only certain people call her Dory. Most people call her Dorothy. So this is something to keep, keep an eye on. But um, they're talking about how when Dory was killed, it turns out that upon questioning Dwight's friends that he was actually playing in a tennis tournament yeah. at the time. And it, there's a, there was a record of it and pictures and everything. Um, so this seems to be a case of where the police are like, well, no more work to do. And then somebody's like, I guess there's like one more thing to do. We should probably talk to Dwight's people to see if there's anything weird about it. And then this is where like just reluctantly the police work happens and the clues start being gathered and but not by an actual policeman no no by the junior detective of course of <laughs> yeah. course my uncle says i can help sometimes uh-huh so the next day ellen takes bud out to the mines and he's really into the mines uh, we're led to believe he's very intrigued by all the trucks and the moving of the dirt and all this as a boy will be of course and meanwhile dad gets a call from the police chief in lupton uncle police chief confirming that yes they were seen together frequently at this restaurant the waitress has uh you know, vouched for this. And so they did know each other and sorry about that. It's, it's bud. I know you don't want to believe it, but it's this Corliss kid. It's finally starting to sink in with dad. Meanwhile, back at the mine, Ellen, apparently her suspicions were somewhat raised by Gordon's words because she starts, you know, she's noticing his behavior and how mm -hmm. enthusiastic he is about being at the mines. And he's got all these, these facts and figures about the mines and, she points out like, yeah, I mean, it seems like you're more into the mind than uh, hot old me over here, Virginia Lathe over here. And he sort of uh, plays it off like it's no big deal. He's just, oh, I'm just really, I've always been interested in mining since I was a kid, of course. All boys love the concept of digging up minerals for usage elsewhere. I, I don't know. I don't know. Did you have that? Um, no. I can't. Well, I had it in in the sense that. I liked something like City Slickers 2, The Legend of Curly's Gold, where, uh, you know, it's kind of like cowboy vibes and they find mm. lost gold in the hills kind of thing. Like, I like that. Okay. But that's not mining proper, no, you know. That's like more gold digging. <laughs> that's gold digging. <laughs> and so she starts kind of poking about. She asks subtly about Lupton and he does talk about it. 
uh, briefly and he, he catches himself and he's like, you know, but that was, was a long time ago, of course. But she keeps pushing on this issue because she senses something is off. And he does start revealing the truth, yeah, basically, does he step slip by on step. Something. Doesn't she ask about like, the music scene or something like that? In love, to, yes. And yeah, he's like, and yeah, he's it's pretty like, oh, good. Yeah, it's pretty good. And then she's like, and he's like, uh. From what I remember, you know, yeah. so long ago, of course. And, but he does cop to the fact that, like, yep, you know what? I did go to college there and I did know your sister. And we even had a couple of dates. But he's not ready to commit to copying to the entire uh, multiple murders or anything like that. But she just keeps pushing him. And eventually he slips and he uses the name Dory. Mm. And this is where it all finally clicks 100% for her. And she's like, yeah, Dory. Nobody calls her Dory except for the guy that she was dating that she wrote about in this letter. And he was tall and slender. You're tall and slender and calls her Dory and you call her Dory. And it's, it's all coming together. Meanwhile, uh, Grant and Mr. Kingship are piecing this together and they, they find out from Bill that they have gone off to the mine. So they race out to the mine with the police in tow to get to catch up with them before something terrible happens. But you guys, something terrible is already happening. Well, yeah, it's in progress. Yes. He basically tries to throw her off of a cliffside leading down into the mining area. And so they're sort of uh, wrestling and arguing about this, and he can't quite get her off of that cliff. So <laughs> He's not as smooth as he was with uh, Dory. No, no. And this is, you know, uh, indicative of of their different natures as humans, too. You know, um, the much less passive Ellen Kingship, who's now piecing together the crime, knows that he's the guy. And um, while they're fighting and having these conversations, of course, all these huge trucks are carrying their copper dirt down this road past them. And so as they wrestle together, he sees one of them rounding the corner and he tries to throw her into its path. But the driver sees her in time, spins the wheel, and ends up knocking him right off of the cliffside. And we see his body being <laughs> thrown overboard. Mm-hmm. There he is. There's his legs, little legs sticking up as he's getting chucked off the side of this cliff here. And that's basically end of movie. Uh, Gordon shows up with Mr. Kingship, and then they just sort of pack Ellen up into the family limo and end of movie. The, thus concludes 1956's A Kiss Before Dying. <laughs> Rather abrupt, right? Yeah, I feel like they could have gone into, well, first of all, I guess it was a good thing. It was only an hour and a half movie. Yeah. but Felt I, longer? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I mean, this is where I started comparing it with the Bollywood version. Okay, okay. Because they give, talk to me about this. They give him a backstory. Okay. They give the main character, who's actually played by Shah Rukh Khan. Okay, mm. love him. Yeah, yes. right, right. Um, they give him a backstory as to why he's kind of taking revenge on this rich family. Oh. So oh, I so see. It goes so into it's the, a revenge. Yeah, it's a family. Oh. Whereas rather, rather than this, which is just just uh, a, a man trying to get into gold digging. Exactly. Yeah. Copper, yeah. copper digging. Copper digging. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so what? What is that background then? Like so um, I think in, so. Mr. Moneybag, so the equivalent mm-hmm. of Mr. Kingship. I think uh, so. Back in the day, he was um, him, and it would have been Bud's father. Yeah, were business associates in the past, oh, and so one kind of cheated the other one, and like took all took over, okay. and then his family kind of like his father went into shock and probably died, and so he lost his family because of, uh, okay. and so he then you know starts dating the daughters and kills you know start you know he his revenge is kind of taking his family yeah 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 him. that's a pretty good plan so is there um, yeah I mean okay it gives much more motive other than yeah. just the, you know um, envy and entitlement and being mm. psychopath yeah. so is um, is there much in the way of uh, uh, like villains being psychopaths so they yeah. just do a thing for the sake Sick of it of. because they're well yes there are okay definitely mm. um, I was looking up the meaning of the name which is it was Baziger. Mm. Um, and one of the definitions was quite interesting. Hold on. I should have kept it. A person who is in the illusion of living in a parallel world where he wins whenever and whatever he plays. Mm. So, <laughs> 
in a way, it's kind of like a psychopath where. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Ish. If I'm distracted, it's because I was looking up the, the Natalie Wood story. Oh, um, okay. I so wanted to give, that. you know, facts first, right? That we Absolutely. really care. Um, so, actress Natalie Wood died in 1981 as the result of a drowning incident off the coast of Catalina Island that remains a mystery to this day. Now, this is from Salon. This was published May 2022. Wood was aboard a 60-foot yacht called Splendor on the day she died, along with Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken, her co-star in what would end up being her final film, Brainstorm. According to police reports, Wood is said to have gone off to bed before the other two men on the boat and was discovered the next morning floating face down in the water. Her death was initially ruled an accidental drowning, but changed to drowning and other undetermined factors. That's a cause of death? Undetermined factors? Yeah. Drowning and other... (laughs) Jeez. The timeline of Wood's death never seemed to explain how she landed overboard, and in 2011, her case was reopened. Fresh scrapes and bruises listed on the coroner's report seemed to indicate Wood had been assaulted prior to her death, but nothing ever added up concretely enough to hold any one person accountable. Both Wagner and Walken were questioned on the events of the night time and time again, and their accounts often conflicted, but no charges were ever filed. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So people have been left to wonder what exactly happened to Wood on that night in 1981. Hey, wow, wow. I always picture this being in the late 60s or something, but 81, geez. Their stories aren't changing. It's likely this mystery will remain as such forever. All the leads in the Natalie Wood case have been exhausted and the case remains an open, unsolved case, Lieutenant Hugo Renaga said in a quote to page six on Friday. In 1986, by the way, the yacht that Wood spent her final moments on was bought by a man named Ron Nelson, but he later sold it, claiming that it was haunted by the ghost of the actress. So there you go. A little mystery. Leave you with some some sort of noirish no. mystery, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a bit more noir than, than maybe the actual film. Yeah, well, okay. So let's let's get back to a kiss before dying. Let's let's finish our business real quick. Right. It's the noirs of March. Uh we're wrapping it up. Thank God. Um Catherine Sherlock. Mm. This motion picture we just watched, mm-hmm. A Kiss Before Dying, 56, yeah. mm. Robert Wagner, mm. Virginia Lathe. Do we keep watching this? It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not that offensive, but um, mm, <laughs> probably not. Okay, probably not. I like that. It's a no from you, technically. Mm. It's more of a probably no, but we'll, we'll say for the, the sake of... Bucketing these. It's a no from you. Shushman Ike, where are you um, at with a kiss before dying? Is the Bollywood version a yes or no from you? It's an absolute yes. Okay. <laughs> not, a, not a shred of doubt in your tone there. I just actually like, I don't know. The Bollywood movie for me is really, really good. Okay. It's one of the better ones. And I, I haven't watched it recently, okay. but I feel like it'll hold. Mm. Are you going to watch it now? I could. Oh, what, yeah, where, when does that date from? When was that It's a uh, 93. Okay, mm. yeah. So it's one of these 90s, mm-hmm. um, and it has two really, like, good songs, and, like, I know the dance to those songs. Like. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame they didn't put some, some songs, songs in, in this, there. like, you know. Um, yeah, you think so? Mm. So happy there would be minimal songs in this movie. <laughs> Especially with what's coming up, by the way. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, look out, look out. Okay, look out, look so out. I think it has to be a no from me. This is a no from yeah. you. Kiss, okay, yes. okay. Fair enough. Uh, I totally see all of your points on that. Completely valid. Look, it's not a great picture, right? It's not a great movie. But for me, it's going to be a yes because I like the ephemera within. I like like the world that we're seeing within. The world beyond the window, if you will. Because it seems so real to me. Even the stuff that is fake, like all the copper stuff, it's clearly just spray painted copper, Mm. you know, pool supplies or whatever. Or telephone. Even that stuff, there's something charming about that aspect of it. And also seeing the real downtown of Tucson in 1955 or 6. Um, and the fact that this is a pretty sinister plot. I like that. I, I felt like the tension typically worked when Bud was about to do his many murders, right? I feel like all of those elements 
came together in a way where it was effective and I felt bad for Dory and I feel bad for Dwight Powell. He just wanted to play tennis and, and spin records, you guys, you know, too soon, way too soon. Um, Dory did have that haircut, but that's not excuse for murder. Come on, Carolyn. It's not. Um, but I do feel like all of that was effective. And yeah, just looking at shit in the 1950s, you know, that's a huge motivator for me. So it's, it's going to be a yes for me. Not a great movie, but also not unwatchable either. Yeah, it was not, it was, um, yeah, exactly. It It was was watchable. watchable, And Virginia Lath, of course, um, who is the Paul Apprentice of 2023 so Mm. far, like we're, I feel like she's a real discovery. It's unfortunate. This was pretty much the end of her, uh, Hollywood career anyway, before the, the void of television became calling. So there it is, you guys. A kiss before dying. Yes, mm, of course. Now, let's talk about next week. Are we doing musicals? It's a new month, which means a new little mini series for us. And this mini series is called This Little Arc for the next. Fave Rules of Abels. For. It's close. Avril? <laughs> Not April in some language. No, the theme is going to be that's showbiz. Mm -hmm. Starting with 1949. 49. It's called It's a Great Feeling. Mm -hmm. A waitress at the Warner Brothers commissary is anxious to break into pictures. She thinks her big break may have arrived when two actors agree to help her. Mm. Starring... Doris Day, Dennis Morgan, and Jack Carson. I don't know who those last two are, but hey, we know Doris Day, right? We know her like a neighbor. So this is going to start. It's going to be showbiz, you guys. That's showbiz, right? So we're going to get some Hollywood. We're going to get some music maybe. I don't know. We've got four weeks of this coming up. So that's next week. And until that time, Catherine Sherlock, thank you so much for having us at the Cat Corner. It's okay. Appreciate nice it. Have you here? Yeah. Um, she said reluctantly. Well, <laughs> there was cake. Shushma cake. cakes. So well, I that's, that's true. That's always welcome. And Shushma, thank you so much for bringing the cakes. You're welcome. It's from Broad and Co. Yeah, of course. Oh. Some shameless plug. And, mm. and also, mm-hmm. if they want to send us Advertise free stuff, yeah, yeah. I mean, they should feel free. Yeah. Very close to the Cat Corner. And, and as I learned to say in my Icelandic class, it's Broad. <laughs> No, it's not actually. That's Keep working. Me. Yeah, okay. Keep. Brown. It's your first class. Okay. Brown. Brown. Do we have to shush my okay, neck? Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, and apologies for Solon being asleep. He was this a lazy entire. cat today. Well, he really didn't I'm, have much to say about a kiss not. before dying. It's no, too bad. I mean, to be fair, I mean. <laughs> Nor did his mommy. No. <laughs> And he's giving us the judgment cat look, which means that we will wrap this up. So I shall now send it to myself into the future. Take it away, dude. Thanks again, me from the past. You guys back then were doing a great job right now. TBD. But of course, you can always let us know. Just write us an email at partyline at oldmovietimemachine.com. We would love to hear from you. And as for next week, you heard it here first. It's a great feeling from 1949 with Doris Day, Dennis Morgan, and Jack Carson. This is available for you guys to watch at home before the episode drops next Wednesday. So you can find It's a Great Feeling at the following locations. Apple TV, DirecTV, Amazon, and of course, who could forget it? Spectrum on demand. So, you Spectrum heads, congratulations. It's your time to shine. Get caught up with It's a Great Feeling, and we'll see you right here on Wednesday. And until next time, please do not ever forget that this has been Old Movie Time Machine. <laughs>